0: Hello, and welcome to the commentary for lesson 334. This is 2 Kings chapter 2 and 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. So, this was an exciting reading, and it took me a couple days to go through everything because I really had a lot of questions. I don't know if you did when you heard this, um, but I love this story. I love the dynamics of Elijah and Elisha, and I love how perfectly God choreographed everything. So, first of all, we start with Elijah, and he and Elisha are traveling together from Gilgal. And Elijah says to Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to Bethel. And so Elisha says, no way, I'm not staying, I'm going with you. So they went down together to Bethel. And it seems almost like Elijah's trying to get rid of Elisha. I mean, if you didn't know what was happening One could maybe think that. So, anyways, then it says, The group of prophets from Bethel came to Elisha and asked him, Did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? Of course I know, Elisha answered, but be quiet about it. So, you gotta laugh because it must be hard to keep a secret when there's a bunch of prophets around, right? (laughs) How do you keep a secret from a prophet? I mean, so on the one hand, like I said before, it seems like Elijah's trying to get rid of Elisha, but then Elijah's a prophet. He knows Elisha's a prophet. So obviously that's not a possibility. But anyways, so there's a group of prophets in Bethel and they knew that the Lord was going to take Elijah. Then Elijah says to Elisha, okay, stay here. The Lord told me to go to Jericho. So again, he's moving again. Elisha replies again, no way, I'm going with you. So they end up going to Jericho together. Then a group of prophets from Jericho came to Elisha and asked him, did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? So God told the prophets in Jericho as well what was about to happen. Of course, I know, Elijah says, but be quiet about it. It's almost like there's no communication about the situation between Elijah and Elisha. And maybe that's why he says, but be quiet about it. Because he doesn't want to upset Elijah. I'm not sure. I mean, it's it's hard to really figure that out. But then Elijah said to Elisha, okay, stay here. The Lord has told me to go to the Jordan River. Well, Elijah should know by now that Elisha's not going to stay back. And that he's going to go with him. And of course he does. So they go together to the Jordan River. Now it says 50 men from the group of prophets... It specifies 50, so it must be that there was more than 50, and not all of them went, right? Anyway, they also went and watched from a distance as Elijah and Elisha stopped beside the Jordan River. Then Elijah folded his cloak together and struck the water with it. Now his cloak, remember, was a symbol of his authority as a prophet. The river divided, and the two of them went across on dry ground. Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I am taken away. So here's proof, okay, that God did tell Elijah that he was going to take him. Okay. Elijah knew what was up and Elisha replied, please let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. Now that is a huge ask. First of all, just the words inherit a double share According to Israel custom at the time, that was a birthright for the firstborn son. So that was a big deal. He was not his biological son, um, but he was his successor and he was referring to a spiritual inheritance. But still, even so, that is a huge ask because Elijah is a major prophet. Here's what my study Bible says about this. God granted Elijah's request because Elijah's, Elisha's, motives were pure. His main goal was not to be a better or more powerful than Elijah, but to accomplish more for God. If our motives are pure, we don't have to be afraid to ask great things from God. That's definitely a takeaway here, isn't it? That's a big ask. I'm surprised he had the nerve to say that out loud, but we must be willing to ask. And when we ask God for great power or ability, we need to examine our desires and get rid of any selfishness we find. So Elijah says, you have asked a difficult thing. He says, if you see me when I am taken from you, then you will get your request. But if not, then you won't. So that's the sign that they'll watch for. And it, basically, Elijah's saying, it's not for me to grant. I can't decide whether or not you're going to get that. Only God can decide that. And so here's the amazing chariots of fire scene. As they're walking along and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appears drawn by horses of fire. It drove between the two men separating them. And Elijah was carried by a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha saw it. Key word, he saw it. So what does that mean? If he saw it, then he will get that double portion of Elijah's spirit. And Elisha cries out, My father, my father, I see the chariots and charioteers of Israel. And as they disappeared from sight, Elisha tore his clothes in distress. Was he in distress because he saw it? No, he was in distress because he's going to miss his master. And he knows this is a huge moment. And so he picks up Elijah's cloak. Then he returns, Elisha returns to the bank of the Jordan River. He struck the water with Elijah's cloak and cried out, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Then the river divided and Elisha went across. I don't believe when he said, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah, that he was wondering where God was, that he didn't feel God's presence. (laughs) I believe he was just calling on God and probably wasn't real secure in his abilities at this point. Elijah has been taken up by God, but isn't that amazing that Elijah never actually died? It's important to note that. He is the second person mentioned in scripture to have had this honor. I'm reading from my study Bible now. Enoch was the first. That's in Genesis 5 verses 21 through 24. The other prophets may not have seen God take Elijah Or they may have had a difficult time believing what they had seen. In either case, they wanted to search for Elijah. Finding no physical trace of him would confirm what had happened and strengthen their faith. The only other person taken to heaven in bodily form was Jesus after his resurrection from the dead. Verse 15, and this is key. It says, when the group of prophets from Jericho saw from a distance what happened. Now, remember back in verse 7, it said 50 men from the group of prophets also went and watched from a distance as Elijah and Elisha stopped beside the Jordan River. So they've watched all of this. God brings everything together so perfectly. He brought them to this place at this time. He had them travel in such a way that the groups of prophets knew what was about to happen. And then these 50 men, God even coordinated the witnesses because witnesses would be necessary. Right? You can't just say, okay, I'm Elisha. I've been training under Elisha. So naturally I'm going to be the new big deal prophet. Well, you can't do that. God has to determine that. And God's letting all of the people know that Elisha is now the big deal prophet of God. So the group of prophets, these 50 men from Jericho, saw from a distance. What did they see? They saw the water's part. They exclaimed, Elijah's spirit rests upon Elisha. So they know that there was a transfer of power there. They get that. They see that. And don't you know they will spread the word? But here's what's interesting. And then they went to meet and bowed to the ground before him. Sir, they said, just say the word, and fifty of our strongest men will search the wilderness for your master. What? Why would they want to search for the master? If they saw the parting of the river, then wouldn't they have also seen the chariot of fire? That's interesting, isn't it? Either only Elisha got that vision, which would make sense because he was a prophet. Maybe that wasn't something that the other men could see. Or maybe they saw it and they didn't trust their own eyes. But you would think there would be a conversation between the witnesses. Did I just see what I think I saw? You'd think there would be some banter, some talk. They wouldn't be assigning their strongest men to go look for him. So they must not have seen it. Perhaps the Spirit of the Lord has left him on some mountain or in some valley. In their eyes, they saw Elijah and Elisha go to the river together. The Jordan River parted. And they went across. And then they saw Elisha on the other side, put the cloak in the water, and the river parted, and he came across. They saw that, but they did not see the disappearance of Elisha. They did not see the chariots of fire. So Elisha, he knew what happened. He said, no, don't send them. You know, you're not going to find him. And they kept urging him. They're making him feel guilty. And so finally he says, all right, send them go ahead. It's, he knows it's a fool's errand. So 50 men searched for three days, but could not find Elisha. Elisha was still at Jericho when they returned and said, didn't I tell you not to go? But he kind of had to go through the steps because they didn't know. So all of this took place. The transfer is obvious now and everybody saw it. Elijah is gone. Elisha is the new big deal prophet. Now it has Elisha's first miracle. Um, the leaders of the town of Jericho visit him and say, we have a problem. I know this all looks lovely, but the water is bad and the land is unproductive. So Elisha says, bring me a bowl, a new bowl with salt in it. And so they, they do. And he goes out to the spring that supplies the town with the water and he throws the salt into it. And he says, this is what the Lord says. I have purified this water. It will no longer cause death or infertility. And the water has remained pure ever since. Just as Elijah said. Now, what's so cool is if you go to a map and you look at, okay, here they are. They're Bethel. They go from Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho to the Jordan River. So you get a really good idea of exactly where they're at. Well, that means, based on the map where they're at, the water that they're talking about has to be the Dead Sea. I mean, that's the only place that it could be, according to the maps, at that time. So, what's cool about the Dead Sea is that, even now, if you've ever been to the Middle East and you've visited it, you know this. I want to go so bad. I haven't been. Um, but the water in the Dead Sea is so salty, they say it is 10 times more salty than the oceans. They say it is so salty, in fact, that you could float in it. You were buoyant, which would be really cool just to try out. And salt also is a detoxifier. So if you went and you laid in the Dead Sea, it would be so good for you. So... It's really cool. It would be really interesting to kind of study the Dead Sea. But don't you just love that the Bible speaks to this and that the origin of that salt in that water is from Elisha, from this miracle. Okay, so then we come to a really strange story. Elisha leaves Jericho and he's headed back up to Bethel. And he's walking along the road and a group of boys, it says, from the town, began mocking and making fun of him. So they come out of the town. Go away, Baldy, they chanted. Go away, Baldy. Elisha turned around and looked at them, and he cursed them in the name of the Lord. Then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of them. From there, Elisha went to Mount Carmel and finally returned to Samaria. That's a crazy story. So, of course, I looked into that that I went to gotquestions.org, and they had a really good, um like, three big paragraphs about this. It does seem kind of crazy that God would cause two bears to maul a bunch of kids for making fun of an old bald guy, right? But there's much more to that story than meets the eye. First of all, I looked at it in all the different translations. King James Version says, little children mocked go up thou bald head. Go up, thou bald head. The NIV says, some boys jeered at him. Get out of here, baldy. Get out of here, baldy. The NASB says, young lads, calls them young lads. They came out from the city and mocked him. Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. So even though here in this translation, it says, go away, baldy. Go away, baldy. It's interesting that in two other translations, it says, go up, thou bald head. That could be referencing the disappearance of Elijah. And now they're taunting this prophet and saying, why don't you just disappear like Elijah did? They're not just mocking an old bald man. They're mocking a prophet of God. And they're not just kids. Okay? Got Questions points out that King James' version did a disservice by translating the term as children because the Hebrew word can refer to children, but more specifically it means young men. It makes more sense that it's a large group of young men that could become volatile really quick, there could be riots, they could um, really harm Elisha, and for all we know, they meant to do him harm. So they weren't just children. And we, it makes sense too, if you think about it that way, because we know God's character. We know that God loves children. Jesus tells us in his teachings that God loves children. And we also know from, I don't know if it was Leviticus or Numbers or Deuteronomy, one of those Old Testament, hardcore books of the Bible, we learned that there is an age of accountability and it's about 20 years of age, right? That played out in the courts. That played out in who could go to war. There's an age in the Bible and according to God of accountability. And I don't believe it doesn't make sense for this to be small children because that's not how God operates. He's never operated that way. We have to think about the character of God, what we've learned from him thus far, and try to see it from a biblical perspective. So... Elijah did not say, hey, God, why don't you send two bears over to maul these young men? He did not ask God that. He curse them in the name of the Lord. He probably felt very threatened by these men. There were more than 42 youths involved. So like I said, this was not a small group of kids teasing an old bald guy. This was a large demonstration of young men, and it could have gotten really volatile, really dangerous, really quick. It could have turned into mob mentality and they were there for the purpose of mocking a prophet of God. Don't you think that that would anger God? The seriousness of the punishment indicates the seriousness of the offense, right? This judgment was God's warning to all who would scorn the prophets of the Lord. That's a serious offense to God. And this clearly portrays that in this story. So, like I said... It's not a bunch of kids teasing an old bald guy. It's not an overreaction. Then Elisha helps a poor widow. I love this because there is a lot of uh, similarity to similarity to a story of Elijah when he helped a poor widow, and I remember she he helped her, and, and his story had to do with oil as well. And so this is just really cool um, that Elisha helps a poor widow in a similar fashion, Um, but she comes to him and says, My husband who served you is dead, and you know how he feared the Lord, but now a creditor has come, threatening to take my two sons as slaves. Now, by law, just want to point out that poor people could repay their debts by selling themselves as slaves, but it wasn't like we think about slaves today. And God warned his people in Deuteronomy 15 not to take advantage of of their extreme need, they were to treat these people fairly and kindly, and just show compassion to others. So obviously, this creditor was not acting in the spirit of the law. So Elijah says, "Okay, how can I help you? Do you have anything in the house?" She says, "Not really. I don't have anything. Um, I have a little bit of a flask of oil." And he says, "Okay, go go out and collect a bunch of jars from family and friends." and close, go back into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. So they were to do this in private. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jars. And of course, they had all these jars and they were able to fill every single one of their jars with this oil. It never ran out until they came to the end of their supply of jars. That's amazing. Not only that they had so much oil, but that... As soon as all their jars were filled, it says, and the oil stopped flowing. When she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, now sell the olive oil and pay your debts and you and your sons can live on what is left over. Love it. So the number of jars they gathered was an indication of their faith. That's what my study Bible says. It could have just been, that's how many they, they were able to get. But if they had really known that... God was going to fill all of their jars, they probably would have tried to get more. I guess there could be something to that. God's provision was as large as their faith and willingness to obey. So we can definitely take away from that. We need to beware of limiting God's blessings because of our lack of faith and obedience. God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. We can't even imagine the gifts he has in store for us. And sometimes because of our own little brains, we just think there's limitations and we put God in a box, but we have to remember that he is God and he's capable of anything and he can bless us beyond our wildest dreams. So I love that this lesson's going long, so I have to stop there, but I love this lesson. I hope you liked it too. Um, Hope you all have a good day. I will talk to you soon.